Dr. Madeline Yamato was born in California. She got her bachelor's degree in biology from Amherst College in 1982. Deciding against attending medical school, she worked in business and then earned her MBA in marketing and organizational behavior from Northwestern in 1991. Returning to work in business for a bit, she then graduated with her DVM from the University of California, Davis in 2005. During her veterinary school years, she helped to develop three courses on holistic medicine for veterinary students at Davis. After graduation, she worked in an integrative practice. Then at the urging of Dr. Shea from Chi University, she served as an acupuncture intern at the University of Florida. She is certified in acupuncture, herbal medicine, food therapy, and Twina from Chi University, and in veterinary spinal manipulative therapy from the Healing Oasis. Dr. Yamata solidified her training by teaching for Chi University both in the United States and in Europe. After her internship, she founded the Center for Integrative Animal Medicine in Davis, California, where she continues to practice. She has also served as treasurer of both the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association and the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Foundation. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Madeline Yamata as we discuss her education, her work developing holistic courses for veterinary students, her acupuncture internship, and her thoughts on the future of holistic veterinary practice. Dr. Yamata, it's great to talk to you. Well, it's delightful to hear your voice. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> I know, sorry we had to postpone, but I appreciate your, your diligence. No trouble at all. Hey, so where did you grow up? I actually grew up in California. Um, in the Originally down in San Luis Obispo, I was a little beach baby, and then we moved up to the East Bay, and then I stayed in the East Bay until I went away to undergrad. And then it was like culture shock going to New England. <laughs> very, very, very different. Why did you choose Amherst? Well. I had intended to be a um, human MD because, you know, just like the typical Asian doc, you know, the Asian parents, I wanted to be a veterinarian as a child, um, but my parents would like be a real doctor. And so um, I had the intentions of being an MD. And um, I actually was one of the very lucky people way back then where the dean of admissions at Amherst said if I applied, um, he would accept me. And that was... Um, when the Dean of Admissions would come to our high school. And honestly, I only knew Amherst was a good school because my friend lived on Amherst and we said Amherst Street um, and all the schools, I mean, uh, a lot of the streets that were in my hometown were named after really good um, colleges and universities. So I knew it was a good school and I hadn't finished my English essay and he was um, gonna be there during my English, my advanced a um, AP English class. So. I legitimately had a reason to not go, which is kind of a bad way to, to get into a, a college. But um, I lucked out, and it was a it was a very um, it's an experience that I would never um, that I would absolutely repeat. It was just a very difficult one. It wasn't what I thought it would be coming from the from the um, East Bay in California. So climate was different, but what else? Oh, just. Um, well, when I arrived there, people would go, how long have you been in America? You hardly have an accent at all. And they would go, well, do you speak your language? I'm like, yeah, I'm speaking English now. And they would go, but I would, you know, they would say, you know, where are you from? And I'd say California. Oh, they go, where were you born? I'm like California. So it was really interesting. Um, even back then they had never, some, some of my, um, students had never even heard of the war camps. So it was very different where in the, um, 
in the East Bay, being Asian was, you know, pretty much like a great thing because people thought you were really smart and um, they thought you would know martial arts. So it was pretty cool. Whereas I go back to New England and they kind of all thought I was a foreigner. It was just very, uh, it was a very challenging time. And I also didn't dress appropriately. Um, I did not know what a prep school was. I thought it was a boarding school where you went where you were bad. Um, and I have, I was very quickly schooled and um, yeah, it was a real big learning experience, but you know, it really, it really taught me a lot. And the school, the education there, I think was really top notch. Did you embrace the winter? Well, it was kind of hard when you're wearing fry boots and you fall on your butt. But yeah, actually, I kind of did. We it it was it was an interesting um, it was interesting to see the the seasons change. Um, and now, as an adult, you know, I look back and go, "My gosh, that was such a beautiful area." But when I was there, I was more into missing um, what I was familiar with. So, you know, I, I would say. I kind of long for the four seasons being out in Northern California now, where we basically have, it's really hot, but not humid. And then um, winter, we can get a little bit of cold, but, you know, it's, you know, we'll get rain, but we don't have um, a nice, really, you know, four seasons where I, I like the spring where you get things like crocuses and tulips coming up. Yeah. So what happened to the med school plan? <laughs> well, well. They, it was really kind of sad when I went back there. The um, pre-med advisor literally said to me, he goes, women in science mix like soil, uh, mix like uh, oil and water. And then he goes, well, you know, Californians never do well out here. I should know. My wife is a Californian. Uh, and I was kind of shocked. I mean, because I had expected to be embraced and I wasn't. Um, and I think it was a, a very challenging time for me. Um, my first year, I also got mono, um, so I had to withdraw. Um, I did eventually go back, um, even though I spent a couple of years out in California. Um, and I, you know, went back to, I actually went to Mills College for a couple of years and got a lot of my science credits out. And I went back to Amherst because I was concerned if I didn't go back, I would be afraid I would never know if I could have made it. And so I happily did go back. Um, and it was, it was a challenge, but um, I think the big challenges in life kind of teach you who you are and they teach you when you got to dig in and, you know, get the job done. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my Amherst degree in all honesty. It was, so what happened? Yeah, go ahead. So, um, I will say it was kind of funny because when I would do things with the alumni association, we had a alumni association meeting with high school students, local high school students to kind of recruit them um, to the college. And amongst all of us alums, there were a handful of us that were all pre-med. The only one who actually was an MD, he had actually been an, I think he was an English major or a philosophy major. But I think it kind of tells you how, you, if you learn how to think, and that's what a really good college education can do, you can really do whatever you want. So I actually went into business after that. Um, and then from business went on to um, vet school. So it was you know, I think the education was, was still extremely valuable, although I didn't do what I was had initially intended to do. So even though you were a biology major, you f did you feel like that being in that school environment did teach you how to think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, it's a, a liberal arts school. And so, you, you know, I had the ability to take courses in other topics as well. I remember my sister who went to UC Berkeley, 
it was virtually impossible to get into, you know, to explore what other subjects you wanted to learn. But Amherst, you know, it was wonderful being a smaller campus that you could pretty much get into whatever it is that you wanted to study. Um, the teachers knew who you were on, on a one, you know, one-on-one basis. And so it was, you couldn't hide, right? So you couldn't screw around and, and get away with it. But um, yeah, I, I think that they really taught me how to learn as well. I think you know, it would be a different experience if I if I went back, you know, even two or three, four years later. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a really good education. What did you do after graduation? Okay, I let's see. I went to Manhattan because I was like, I decided I didn't want to do um, the med school thing, um, and so I literally cashed in my ticket to come back to California because I was going to take a year off or so, and then I went to Manhattan because I figured that was the next big challenge. And I wanted to, you know, see how I would fare in business. Um, I was very fortunate, um, got a job with a startup company, um, which unfortunately failed, but it was, um, it was on a fairly large scale. And then while I was out there, I realized that this is not what I wanted to do. And then I came back and honestly, I did not know what I wanted to do. And it, it took me a while. And then the, you know, business school was the big deal, right? Like all of a sudden there was like, you know, all this publicity about business schools. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to do something, get my mom off my back. Cause she was like, when I was your age, I was internationally published. You didn't go to medical school. You're a loser. You know, the typical Asian mom, tiger mom thing. <laughs> and so I literally went to business school because it was a two-year program and I thought I could get my mom off my back. So I was extremely fortunate. I did get into um, Kellogg. Um, so the Northwestern business program and and literally within the first week and a half or so, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? This was a really big mistake because I didn't know why I was there, and what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, you know, marketing sounds like fun, although I didn't know what marketing was. Um, so I did major in marketing and organizational behavior. Um, and so it was quite an experience, but I realized I didn't want to do any of those things. However, once again, it gives you a framework on how to approach, you know, situations and information and then, um, you know, use it to, to, you know, to, to better, um, your decision-making. So, you know, fast forward, how many years, how many years I decided to go to vet school and at least it gave me the ability to, to have confidence in myself, to be able to start my own practice. Um, so, you know, we kind of, sometimes we bumble around in life and, you know, we stumble on a path, um, that, eventually gets us to where we really needed to be. Like I can look back now and go, geez, you know, I couldn't have even planned that, but it worked out really well. Nice. So when you decided you're going to go to vet school, was uh, Davis your only choice or did you have other thoughts? No, I, you know, I wasn't stupid. I knew it was going to be, you know, it was going to be hard to get in anywhere, Uh, but I lived in California. And so of course Davis um, and, you know, and I'd always heard such wonderful things about UC Davis um, people had told me, you know, Cornell was really cold. You didn't want to be out there. Um, and so, you know, stupidly, I didn't even think about Florida because I eventually did my internship there. But um, yeah, Davis was my top choice just because of, you know, the financial aspect and then just moving, you know, further up north in California. So when I had to take some undergrad classes um, to fill all the requirements, I literally um, would drive every day from my house and up to Davis, which was about over a little bit over an hour every day. So I knew it would be, you know, a pretty easy um, transition from where I was like, right. I didn't have to move cross country again. Cause that's a nightmare. Yeah. So what was vet school like for you? 
it was a challenge. I will be honest. Um, I hadn't been in science for close to 20 years, which was kind of, you know, other than taking biochemistry, um, I'm trying to take something else to get into vet school, but I had been in business. So I had not, I did not retain any of, you know, my organic chem or even biology. I literally went into vet school and not knowing the difference between an artery and a vein. I had never drawn blood. The only, you know, ultrasound I'd seen was at the end of the Drew Carey TV show. Um, and my, you know, literally my, my, real quote unquote real vet experience was watching um, animal planet emergency vets. I did work at a um, small pet store. It was only food, no animals. It was owned by two wonderful, wonderful vets who were just brilliant veterinarians, but um, they had sold their practice to another vet. So they would do vaccine clinics on the weekends. Um, and so I worked with them and I loved it because the wife would treat, you know, the clients anywhere from people who had dogs that they love more than anything in the world to people literally who had fighting pit bulls. She would treat everybody with the same amount of kindness and caring. And so she was a really good um, inspirational um, role model for me, Dr. Marla Geisler, And then her husband, Dr. Carl um, Waithocker, um, I'd heard brilliant, brilliant surgeon. Um, they're both brilliant veterinarians. And so I was fortunate to have them as, as role models to see is this, is this, you know, the profession I want to um, enter? Because the joke was, if I had, you know, if I did go to vet school, I'd probably have two clients because I would tell everybody their dog was too fat or, you know, you, <laughs> you, know, you, you shouldn't be feeding that food. Um, but, I, you know, I learned a lot on how to manage people just by watching these two phenomenal veterinarians. Oh, that's great. So did you get exposed to holistic medicine in school? No. <laughs> I went to vet school because I got exposed. I was one of those Googlers. I was one of those people that, you know, I, I um, had adopted a low content wolf hybrid from the animal shelter and he had um, chronic diarrhea. And I was told, oh, he could only eat lamb and rice. And, you know, it was frustrating that he was constantly on um, prednisone and sulfasalazine. And I had a biopsy done and they're like, your dog's got eosinophilic colitis. I'm like, well, what causes it and how do I prevent it? They're like, don't know. Here's your bag of, you know, Hill Science diet and there you go. And, you know, you're going to have to be on Pred and Sulfasalazine intermittently throughout his lifetime. And I'm like, oh. So I started Googling and learning and I talked to Dr. Geisler and we tried him on a different diet. I was really good about um, having him on a restricted diet and I was able to get his gut back into a good place and he could pretty much eat anything in moderation. And then um, learning about alternative modalities. So I read, um, you know, Pitcairn's book. I read a lot of other holistic books. And then what finally did it for me was Alan Schoen's book, Love, Miracles, and Animal Healing, because he was talking about, you know, homeopathy, which I had never heard about and saying how it, how he could take this wonderful little homeopathic remedy and his poison ivy went away. And I'm like wildly allergic to poison oak. So I was like, that's kind of cool. And then he talked about acupuncture and my grandmother, um, who is of Japan, you know, who's Japanese from Japan had really bad arthritis and she would go see an acupuncturist and come back with these horrible purple bruise marks all over her knee, um, from, from, um, cupping. And, you know, you're a little child and you're like, Oh my gosh. But that was the only thing that helped my grandmother. Um, and so I was like, well, you know, heck if they're doing acupuncture on dogs and you know, it's working, I, you know, I'll go to vet school because I had at that point accumulated, um, four dogs. I had been doing kind of a ad hoc little, um, 
wolf hybrid rescue. So I, I, at that point I had three wolf hybrids and a pit bull. Um, and I had taken in some other wolf hybrids and I found that each of these animals responded to different, um, different treatments. Even if they all had diarrhea, they would all respond differently. And I'm like, you know, treating each animal as an individual, um, and using medication or a treatment that is not going to have a long-term negative impact, um, just really appealed to me. So I decided, well, heck, I'll go to vet school. So, you know, my best friend's like, why did you go to vet school at 41? I said, because no one told me I couldn't. Um, and so I was very lucky, but truthfully, it was like running a marathon at a sprinter's pace because I had no walk around knowledge, like literally none. Yeah. I didn't even know how to use a microscope anymore. Like to this day, like if I'm looking at a slide, it's like things are flying all over the place until I can finally <laughs> find <laughs> it in the field. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy because it's not something I do every day. Where'd you go after graduation? Um, I actually got a job at a Western clinic. It was very busy. Um, and it was in an area that's um, not a well-endowed socioeconomic community, but it was very busy. They were open seven days a week. So I got to see a lot of really crazy things. Um, and I, I'm very appreciative for that experience. My boss, um, he wanted to start a holistic um, wing. And so they hired me because that was my interest. And so I was able to take a lot of classes um, at the Chi and, you know, go back and forth. Um, but to step back the way, you know, while I, when I went to vet school, I knew I wanted to do integrative and there wasn't a, a class on alternative medicine. And so my best friend and I, we put one together um, and we started working on our second year, but that year, the a teacher who was on sabbatical started his class also. But my best friend and I, we put on um, a class on alternative medicine. It was, you know, we got some of the best speakers that around, and then um, continued to do a total of of three, which you know fulfilled the whole year's worth of classes. So I was very fortunate, but it was also um, seeing a need, and then the academic committee they you know they didn't really have an interest, but I found funding. And so, you know, it was a class that we could put on. And then um, Alan Schoen came to speak and our dean of academic programs, he came and listened to it. And then he actually said um, he was very fascinated. And then they provided funding for our class. So I was, I, you know, I guess maybe it was the business background and also being older um, and just saying, like, this is what we need. There's a, a lack. And so I'll just go ahead and, you know, let's just do it. Nice. And I suppose with Dr. Schoen's credentials, that helped a lot, right? Oh, yeah. And the, the best part was because he was talking about congestive heart failure. And the, the dean, he said, um, my dog just died of congestive heart failure. I would have I would have been willing to try these different modalities. And I'm like, yeah. And so it was great. And, you know, some things, um, some of the topics that, you know, I wanted to cover were so that people would still be exposed to them. And in the future, once we were all vets, if some if one of their clients came up to them and said, I want to do blah, 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 they could either go, oh, I don't think that's the right thing for your animal, but, you know, so-and-so is an expert in their field. Why don't you go, you know, go see them or consult with them? And that was really my goal was just to expose people. And, you know, my goal today is really to change how medicine's practiced. You know, I, I'm very fortunate um, I'm in a situation also being older um, and not having children that, you know, I can make sacrifices to you know, hopefully make that happen. Um, so, 
you know, what I practice now is very little Western. Um, we get a lot of referrals from Western vets and I want them to see, you know, how their animals improve um, and how we can share cases together and, you know, in a joint relationship and create you know, better health for our animal patients. You bet. All right. So at what point did you go to Florida? So we had had um, Dr. Shea come and lecture for us, and he um, was, of course, brilliant. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the way he explains it is just phenomenal. Um, I'd also been exposed to um, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, Dr. Cheryl Schwartz had come out with her book, Four Paws and, um, Four Paws and Five Directions, before I went to vet school. And so... Um, I was like, man, I wish I, you know, I wish she was in practice because my dogs could certainly benefit from her type of medicine, but she was busy on her book tour. So after Dr. Shea came to UC Davis, um, he actually, um, and I was taking all the courses at Chi, he actually asked me to apply for the internship. So one year, you know, I spent one year in a Western clinic and he had asked me to do the internship. I had to apply, of course. Um, was very luckily um, accepted. So the second year the internship was offered, you know, there I was in Florida, once again, changing my life <laughs> in, my, in my 40s, you know, and I had not intended to do that. I had intended to have finally settle down because I had four dogs and, you know, I wanted to kind of enjoy life because vet school was, like I said, running a marathon, you know, at a sprinter's pace. But you know, I am so appreciative and grateful to Dr. Shea that he really set me on that journey in terms of um, really learning traditional Chinese medicine and just opening my eyes to, you know, some of the like, literally miracles that, that he could um, create. What was that position like? I mean, you were at the vet school mm -hmm. and, you know, were you treated with respect by the faculty members? Did it just vary depending on the person or how did that go? We were kind of isolated. So initially we were under anesthesia as well. Um, you know me quite well, so you know I am outspoken. So when we had this little, this band that we would go, I mean, we would treat these amazing racehorses. Um, and we had this band that was all battered and, you know, the seatbelts weren't even working really well. And I looked at Dr. Shea and I said, Dr. Shea, our service is, you know, virtual, you know, it's, it's a high profit, um, profit service. And I said, why are we, why do we have this crappy van? Like these other services have nice vehicles, even the administration, like, you know, to, to, um, support staff had a better vehicle. And I'm like, we are not the bastard children of the, you know, of the vet hospital. You know, and he kind of looked at me. I think he didn't like my my woodiness, um, but <laughs> that was kind of you know that's that's kind of how I felt. I mean, what we're doing was legitimate work. Doctor Shea is, just did some amazing work, and he had his PhD from University of Florida. Um, but there were some some um, I think there probably were some that would didn't have the best um, respect for what we did. But my feeling is, you just produce, produce, and you put up good results. And of course, I was outspoken, so I would say things. I would—I mean, I literally would say things, which, you know, I mean, I think by the time I left, we were getting a lot more referrals, and now they're very well, you know, very well respected. Um, but it was a challenge, you know, year number two. I mean, you know, kudos to Tiffany Ramar and Carolina, you know, Medina, who, you know, who, who were the first two, the first year, who really had to kind of um, lay the, you know, lay the foot footprints for um, Dr. Beth Carson and myself. So what was your day-to-day -day 
day-to-day routine on the service like? So we would see uh, small animals. Um, I can't remember how many days a week. And then we would also go on the road to treat horses because remember we're down in Gainesville, right close to Ocala. So there are a lot of, this is pre, um, pre 2008 recession. Right. And so we had, so we would go um, on farm calls and oh my goodness, like it was amazing. Some of these farms, I had never been exposed to that. Um, So we would do that, I believe two days a week. um, And then, Three days were small animal, and then one day, and then um, Saturdays we were also expected to work. Um, so, and then Fridays, my intern mate and I we would go um, do horse calls by ourselves, and often come back, you know, pretty late at night. And then when the, you know, back then it was a Chi Institute, now it's a Chi University. Um, we would also teach it at the courses, and so if we weren't in clinic on Saturday mornings at eight o'clock, um, we were at the Chi, you know, at the Chi Institute. So. It was a seven day a week um, type of it. Um, so for me, you know, it, it kept me busy, but it also, um, I learned a lot there. I really did. And, and again, just so very appreciative that Dr. Shea encouraged me to apply for that internship. Sure. And, and so what happened after you were done, after the year was up? Oh, so, you know, I was very fortunate. Um, I had met a practitioner um, who had an integrative uh, clinic in Sacramento, um, Dr. Sine Beebe. And so I went to work for, for her because she and I had met because we had gotten her to come lecture for us at UC Davis as a student. And she and I kept in contact um, had, and had become friends. Um, and so, you know, I worked for her for um, right after I left University of Florida and I worked for her for, you know, about a year. And then I went off on my own. Um, I was very fortunate. A Western clinic allowed me to see patients at their clinic. Um, and then from there I started my own. So it's, it was not what I expected. I thought I would create a very large integrative, um, clinic where we would do surgery and we would have specialists and, you know, and all sorts of specialties as well, aside from, you know, the alternative modalities. Um, but realizing as I got older and older that, you know, it's just not going to be something, it's not something that I, I really want to build at this point. You know, it's just, I hope somebody else does it at some point. Um, and I have been friends who I have had friends who've worked at large specialty clinics, but I think it's different if you are one of the founding members versus if you're one of the people that they hire. So I would love to see, you know, a place like, you know, um, Angel or um, AMC just really wholly, fully embrace you know, alternative, not just acupuncture rehab, but really, you know, herbal medicine and homeopathy um, and other modalities that at this moment, at this moment, like I'm just not thinking of. Yeah. So when, uh, when did you get involved with organized medicine? I mean, when did you start with the HVMA? Gosh, I think that was um, Nancy Scanlon. <laughs> so I had Nancy Scanlon lecture for us as at the UC Davis course that I had put on. And um, when I, after I went to my first HVMA conference, um, I was, you know, I thought, well, gosh, you know, these are some things that I would want to see, you know, some of the changes I would like to see. And so I put my name in the hat and then I saw Nancy on the plane um, going to a homotox meeting and she and I just talked the entire time. And then she asked me um, to come and join the um, HVMA board. Um, and so I did. And then uh, once Mona Boudreaux became 
president, she asked me to become the treasurer. So uh, kind of started with Nancy and um, Mona, Barb Royal. It's just been quite a surprising ride. And you know, I'm so appreciative because, you know, we get a chance to shape where we're going to move. Um, and plus, I get to meet a lot of really amazing practitioners from across the world. And when did you start to be involved with the foundation? That was just recently, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, that was Nancy Scanlon again. <laughs> <laughs> so yay, Nancy, right? Um, yeah. yeah, so I got asked to be, my joke is because I'm Asian, that I always get asked to be the treasurer. Um, <laughs> so while I was serving as treasurer for the HVMA, Nancy asked me if I would also um, serve as treasurer for the HVMF, the foundation. Um, and I was very grateful that the board allowed the HVMA board allowed me to, um, serve on both. It was very interesting. Um, I guess because I, you know, being a bi-coastal student, um, I have really been able to separate my life, you know, into whatever I need to, um, very easily. So, you know, I could wear my HVMA hat and my HVMF hat and never share information unless, you know, it was, you know, appropriate or legal. So, yeah, I was I was very um, honored to be able to, to serve to organizations that I feel are so important in the health and education um, of holistic veterinary medicine. Where do you see the future of uh, holistic practice going? Oh, wow. I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? Because our business models are not really in, in line with a lot of the corporate medicine practices. Um, and fortunately, I, you know, Personally, I'm not saying that corporate medicine is, is necessarily always the, you know, the bad thing, but, um, for me being very woody and, um, perfectionist and a control freak, um, I could not function under, um, a corporate veil. I think alternative medicine is a bit of a challenge because we don't do a cookie cutter approach. We don't, we can't do flow charts, right? I mean, we look at animals on an individual basis and, you know, we look at them um, as a whole. And I, I tell my clients who aren't exposed to uh, Chinese herbs, I explain like with in Chinese medicine, if you can present me with three dogs with hip dysplasia and they may all come away with a completely different treatment plan because it's based on what caused it what their weakness is now and where they're at. And so, you know, Western medicine, you know, we may go, here's your NSAID, right? And, and maybe we'll do a liver protectant um, or and glucosamine chondroitin sulfate, but it's, it's pretty much the same. So I think it's, it, we have a chance to continue to thrive um, and not, you know, not have to be forced to practice a certain way. So I just hope that we have enough veterinarians that do integrative or alternative that also have the entrepreneurial spirit who want to continue to own their own practices uh, and continue to practice the way that we see fit rather than have somebody tell us what we need to do and sell more of this or sell more of that. It's a very interesting time. I will absolutely say this is going to be very fascinating to watch how veterinary medicine um, moves forward from now on. What's what? What do you think is going to happen to your practice? What's your? Do you have a plan? Well, I used to say I would be happy to die at my desk, <laughs> um, and you know I would love to continue to to practice. It's you know because I can pick my hours um, and therefore to some extent control my stress level. You know I think I'll be able to have you know better longevity. Um, I 
you know, I see my other, you know, integrative um, cohorts who oftentimes have challenges finding um, finding um, other associates or even selling their practice. So, you know, I know that's not something that I have to, to figure into being contributory towards my retirement. So my feeling is, you know, nose, you know, nose, nose down and, you know, keep on, keep on working at it and try and try and keep on changing how medicine is practiced. And maybe down the road, someone will be interested in taking it over. I would love it if I could find somebody who would love to continue on with my practice. Um, but I don't have any expectation of it. I just hope that we can, you know, we can train and educate more and more vets um, to, to our different way of practicing. Cause you're, you're like me, you don't do a lot of Western, right? No. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. I just don't know how we encourage that. You know, how, how do we encourage um, younger doctors to think about that lifestyle? Yeah, because it's really hard, right? Because of the, the student loan debt now for, you know, for veterinary medical education. I mean, honestly, if, you know, if I saw a patient more frequently um, and had a heavier schedule, I could certainly, you know, generate more income. But, you know, again, I'm I'm lucky I'm in a situation where, you know, I just don't need to, so I can practice the way I want. But a newer grad um, would have to take courses in, you know, different mo- alternative modalities and are just going to have, you know, presumptively a huge student loan debt. And, you know, we just don't generate the same kind of money unless we can also do the Western. Um, and I find because people seek, you know, my, you know, our clinic because they, you know, they don't want to do any more Western. And so, you know, we have to, it pushes us to find other ways of treating patients because it's not like, a, you know, again, it's not like we go, well, sorry, that's all we can do for you. In alternative medicine, there's always something else that we can do. It could be another modality. It could be another approach. Um, and I think that's what makes it for me so exciting. Um, and, you know, because I think the community of us holistic vets is just so supportive. I mean, I could literally text or, or call or email some of the people that are like top in their field. I mean, you, you know, I've texted you and asked you questions too, right? And so um, I think it's just a, a really wonderful way of practicing. It's just an, a matter of can our younger vets afford this or can we find a way um, to make it profitable so they don't have to have you know, they don't have to do other modalities like, let's say, surgery, um, it, you know, if they don't want to. Yeah, I think the answer's out there. I just mm-hmm. I think about it. I think about it every day. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, Madeline, this was great. Thank you for taking the time. And, and I do want to just take a minute and thank you for your service to our little uh, part of the profession. I appreciate that, but it's truly been my honor, um, and I um, appreciate all that you've done for organized, um, you know, for all of our our organizations as well. Not just the HVMA and HVMF, but you know, for acupuncture as well. So, um, thank you. It's been a well, pleasure. Thank you. And I hope to see you in person soon. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> a hug's a long time coming. <laughs> all right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world-leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry-recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence-based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. 
By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases. And whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.